Hello everyone and welcome to episode 326 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Sci-Fi series. How are you, Al? I am okay, Valerie. I am okay. fair to middling, and I think <laughs> that for any of us in these very interesting times, then yes. that's, you know, that's all right. That's not bad. Yes. I hope you guys are all fair to middling as well. Yes, yes. And what have you been doing in your fair to middling state? Well, can we just talk about this for a moment? Oh, like, let's yes. just Let's just <laughs> settle in briefly okay. because I am watching like everybody talking about, you know, their ISO face masks and their ISO, mm. you know, mm. slippers and their ISO whatever. Yes. And I am just going, how does this happen? Because I have never been busier. I am so busy. I have, do not have time to scratch myself. And oh, you know what the yeah. and you know what the trouble is too is because of course you know we're all working at home and blah blah blah, which we normally do and that's fine. Um, but because everyone's here. Um, there's no end date, there's no end time to my day anymore. So I don't have that, oh, I've got to get stuff done by half past three because the boys will be home and then I've got to go and do all these other things. I don't have that. So I'm sitting here, like I went to the bookshop today and I bought five new books, five new books. Let's just take a moment. Um, And the reason I did that was because – um, I've been trying to read them on ebook. Like I've, I've, I've got borrowed books from the library, and I've bought a couple of ebooks, and I'm trying to read them on screen. And mm-hmm. I'm spending so much of my time online, looking at screens, talking to people on Zoom, doing all that sort of stuff, that I made the conscious decision that I need something that takes me away from it. So oh. I've gone and bought myself a stack of physical books for that reason. Okay. So your bookshop's open. My bookshop is still open. Yeah. And I am very lucky. And it was great because I just rang my order through and then whipped past oh. whilst social distancing with hand sanitizer. Yes, yes. I'm actually going to my bookshop this afternoon, which I noticed was open as well when I drove past it yesterday. Um, so, oh, yeah, ring through the order. I think that's okay. I know exactly where the book is going to be. So, Well, I'm just, I've just got myself a stash of emergency books and I'm ready mm. to go. That's okay. it. Okay. Wow. So well, you are not the only one buying books because thank you to everyone who has bought our book in the last week or so. Um, of course, Alison uh, and I co-wrote the book, if you're new to this podcast, called So You Want to Be a Writer. <laughs> surprise, <Woo-hoo>! surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's uh, obviously a bunch of people who are not just making face masks or slippers or crafty projects. They are reading our book. And if you'd like to read your um, your own copy of our book just go to so you want to be a writer.com.au uh, slash book and you'll find out a bit more about it but basically it's all of the things that you need to know if you want to be a writer and Alice and I are both incredibly practical people so <laughs> while there's a huge dose of motivation and encouragement in there there's actual step-by-step things that you can do action steps that you can take in whatever pace that you want so that you can potentially either transition to become a writer or be a writer while you still have a day job. Mm, that's uh, so check it out. Now, we also want to give a big shout out to Lexi. So Lexi was lovely and gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Lexi said, you won't need anything else. 
Val and Al are mm. my background podcast to everything with their intriguing banter and word of the week. Yeah. Oh, what? Lexi. <laughs> Lexi, Lexi, Lexi. We need to talk. <laughs> they give you everything you need to know about the local writing community. If you ever need more, don't worry. They have over 300 episodes. Their interviews with new and old authors alike inspire me, and I bet the whole writing community um, to – and I get the whole running community to what can be possible. One thing is they should have another community group that isn't on Facebook, okay? <laughs> Give them a listen and you won't regret it. Thanks, Val and Al. You've made many long hours, short minutes. Okay, so um, our community group of listeners is on Facebook. And if you would like to join us, we're often in there sharing ideas and lots of fantastic ideas being shared by other people within the community who are from all walks of life, but all have an interest in writing. So just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community, and we'd love to have you in there. So now let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Al, you have a tip for us. I have. Tip. I actually have several tips for you. Yes. <laughs> you know me, always good with a tip. I have five things to know about writing your second novel and one bonus tip. Now, right. I um, these, this, this post is actually it's on my uh, website, alisontate.com, and it's actually written by Lauren Chater, whose debut historical novel, The Lace Weaver, was published in March 2019 and went on to become a bestseller. Um, then Lauren had to write book two and discovered, as she shares in the post, that second novel syndrome is real yeah. and it hurts so um her new book which is called gulliver's wife which is a, another beautiful historical novel uh came out uh two weeks ago last week you know recently and um she has popped into my blog very kindly and has written a great post about you know things to know when you are confronting the 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 writing of this sec this dreaded second book because it is um the thing you learn when you write your second book is that writing one book um, doesn't make writing a second book easier. <laughs> it's just you kind of would think, wouldn't you, that you would know what you were doing by the time you'd managed to get one written, edited, published, etc. But that is not necessarily the case, unfortunately. Um, so she talks about um, in the in the post, uh, Lauren does, about um, surviving the dreaded second novel syndrome. Um, her first um, – the first tip is to lower your expectations, <laughs> uh, which I think is a good tip because, you know, once you've worked through a process and you've written, you know, you've, you've, you've polished something amazingly well with a publisher ready to go out, you're kind of thinking that you're going to crank out a, a, a first draft that looks a bit like that when you come to write your second book. Um, but what you discover is that all the skills you thought you'd mastered have actually mysteriously vanished and you have to, you know, you're basically starting from scratch again because every single manuscript that you write is going to have its own challenges for different reasons. Like, you know, like it's, it, there's always going to be a problem. Trust me, there's always mm -hmm. going to be a problem. Um, then she also talks about reading. Now, lots of authors will not read books by other authors while they're working on a novel because they, they don't want to be influenced or they're worried. I do. I read a lot, but I read well and truly outside. 
of what I'm writing. Yeah. Um, I, I look for, you know, anything that is not middle grade, basically. I just yeah. read whatever I can find. Um, and uh, while she was writing Gulliver's Wife, Lauren read both fiction and nonfiction um, because she found, like, there are so many moments of self-doubt during the writing process. Mm-hmm. She found it incredibly comforting to know that other authors, you know, had been where she has been and have actually managed to reach the other side. So I think there's something to be, you know, to be learnt from that. Anyway, so she's got five tips in here um, and I think uh, I actually really love her bonus tip. Can I yeah. – I'm going to share that. Go on. Her final tip for pushing through the hard yards of book two is to make sure you give back to the oh, literary yeah. community. Um, and I think that it is such a great tip because, as she says, the industry is often kind to debut novelists. Like lots of people will be there to support you with your debut novel because everybody knows how hard it is to get a message out there. You know, they'll be writing fest- – you often get asked to festivals and launches and things like that and you meet a lot of people who understand what you're going through. When you're writing your second book, that community, those people that you've met along the way are even more vital. Um, And as she points out, it's really important to make sure that you are giving as well as taking. You know, buy books by Australian authors, cheer on their success, send messages of support, look after the people who look after you is her tip. And I think it's a great, um, a great tip. Yeah, fantastic tip. And we're big believers in in that approach as well. So Mm. definitely... Definitely the way to go. Hmm. So also you have a link about the Gruffalo. Oh, that's not my link. I thought that was your link. That's a, <laughs> that's a link that has absolutely <laughs> disappeared out of nowhere. So I am not sure about that link. But basically the, it's, it's a, a story in the newspaper that says that the Gruffalo has been reimagined to help children through coronavirus. And I guess the interesting talking point for me around this is just the number of these kinds of projects that are out there at the moment. Yeah. There's a lot of books, um, you know, whether they be famous books like the Gruffalo but then there's also other books that have been, you know, picture books that are being uh, put out to kind of, you know, help parents talk to smaller children about coronavirus. The yeah. other thing is too, and I actually would really like to talk to you about this because this is something I, I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with a little bit. There's an awful lot of people, it's very noisy online at the moment. I don't know if yes. you've noticed this, but it I is incredibly noisy online at the moment. Um, there's a lot of people who are just like, throwing themselves into a frenzy and flinging stuff up online and reading books and creating activities and doing all sorts of different things. Um, you know, as a, as a community service in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of parents who've got kids at home uh, with homeschooling and stuff and there's a lot of resources being developed and it's great, you know, on some levels. But what I, what I really want to say to um, authors in this instance is I think it's very easy to feel like if you're not doing it, you're being left behind. I think it's really easy to feel like, oh, my gosh, everybody is reading their book online. Everybody is doing this. Everybody is doing that. And feel like you need to throw yourself into that mess. Um, I would suggest personally my thinking on this is that if you can't answer the question of why you are doing it, what you are hoping to actually achieve through doing it, like who are you talking to? Why are you doing it? You know, also a little bit, let's be let's be frank, what's in it for you? Because mm. creating the kind of content that's being created at the moment takes a lot of time and energy. Um, 
if you can't answer those questions, if you can't look at a, a, a at it as a as a sort of like a okay, why am I why am I doing this, and what is the response to that? If your only answer to that is because everyone else is doing it, then I suggest you have a reassessment of your of your kind of goals as to what you're doing. Um, I think that there's definitely a place for these kinds of activities, and I think it's probably going to be obviously as as we go through the process of of watching you know, the circumstances around the world play out, you know, it may, um, things will settle, things will change, things will, will start to see what's working and what's not. Yeah. Um, but don't get caught up in it. Think about what you're doing and think about why you're doing it. Because otherwise, yes. I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to be talking to not very many people at all. Um, and I, so it's yeah. worth working out where your audience is. What I would suggest personally um, is this is the time. This is a great time if you if you haven't really ever got hold of the concept of why you need your own author platform um, before. If you've always thought that that was just something that other people had to do, I, I personally feel like this has rammed home the message more than anything I've ever seen of how important it is to have a way to talk to your audience, um, yeah. to build your own audience, to network with other people online, um, all of those sorts of things, and to work out a strategy for how you're going to, um, you know, you don't have to stand head and shoulders out in the you know, above the crowd, but how are you going to make your own little sort of corner of the internet into something that's working for you? So, mm. I would think about that. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that's As, valid or am oh, I being – No, I yeah, think that's okay. absolutely valid. I think that I completely agree with Alison in that there is this rush, it seems, not mm. by everyone, by mm. some, but by some people just to put out a lot of content. And as Alison said, you need to think through, well, why are you putting it out? Is it just because you've got nothing else to do and this gives you something to do? Which and, is fine. And that's a valid yeah. reason as long yeah. as you were happy with that. That's fine, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And as long yep. as you're, as long as there's some kind of, um, but also you, sometimes you're putting out, uh, I can see a number of authors putting out valuable content that, um that they might be regretting. Um, there's also some writers, yeah. uh, and I'm I'm thinking of some one in particular, who are putting out content that where a lot of time and effort has not been put into it. So mm. she's not actually, you know, <laughs> wasting her time in a sense. But she hasn't put in, in out a, a lot of time. She hasn't put a lot of time and effort into it, and it shows. So mm. in 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 that case, it's doing damage to her brand. It's doing mm. damage to you know, will people listen to her content in, or watch her content in the future? Because mm. it's like, you know, she's really bored, I assume, and is just putting out almost stream of consciousness of what's coming out of her head. Yeah. So, you know, there is a balance between the two to make sure that you are um, not spamming people, but you are also achieving some good objectives. Yeah, and I mean, you, like I'm not saying, I, I think it's important to be, um, you know, obviously we need to look after our communities in this mm. in this area and, and you know, I'm not saying, oh, no, we should definitely not be putting out anything for free. Or it's not mm. that. It's just mm. be careful and think about it. Think about what you're doing and why. Yep, that's okay. it. Okay, I'm finished now. I'm off my soapbox now. Okay, thank you, okay. soapbox. Moving right along. So yep. we were talking earlier about you went to the bookshop this morning. I'm going to the bookshop this afternoon uh, and people are also buying books online. So there's a LinkedIn post from the deputy CEO at Booktopia <clears throat> who um, uh, posted what their analyst 
at Booktopia uh, has summed up how people are feeling by looking at what books they're buying because mm. they've got all this data on book yeah, sales, of course. right? Yep. So Kirsty has said, so let's see, the reality of self-isolation is just beginning. We're looking for stories to take us away from the real world. We're catching up on novels we've been meaning to read. We're buying fiction books for our school-aged children with the hope we can get them off the damn internet and into good stories from Aussie authors to distract from the gloom and doom. We're looking for crafty things to do with our hands to pass the time, exploring plant medicine and growing our own food. This is mm. you know, what people are buying. We're colouring again. We're not dreaming of travelling anywhere. We're cooking wholesome meals at home and baking. I'm going to bake on Friday. Yeah. Oh, stop anyway, it. You are I not. I know, I am. I got you the don't bake. I know. Well, I'm making scones. Um, oh, but- look, I'm so sorry. But if there is ever a point in, in the whole in this whole thing that has shown me what the effect of this has been <laughs> on our society, it is the fact that Valerie Koo is baking scones. Yeah, yeah. I've got all the ingredients. I'm so excited. I did anyway. not know that dystopia would look like this, but there it is. <laughs> Valerie Koo is baking scones. Sorry, continue. All right, sorry, yes. So Kirsty says, and we're not thinking about fitness and diet. That, that may need to change based on the previous point. And finally, <laughs> we are considering how we're, we deal with change in our careers, managing grief, finding happiness that will sustain us through the darkest time. Put simply, trying to work out how we're going to recover from all of this, which we will. So there you go. So that was from Kirsty Ward, who is the analyst at Booktopia, and it was on Wayne Baskin, who's the deputy CEO of Booktopia. It was on his LinkedIn page, and I think that's such a great post. And and as you say, like it's a real insight into into what we're doing. I'm completely unsurprised by the baking. Let me just say, except for everyone except you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you made scones before? Of course, I've made scones. Well, like, I don't know. I've never made scones before. So. Have you never made them? No. Can I I've give you a tip? Crackles. Yeah. Are you planning to make the CWA variety where you rub the butter into the flour? Oh, I don't know. I've okay. Only... Look mm. for the lemonade scone recipe or the okay. or the soda water scone recipe. It will save you so much grief. Oh, okay. There's a very right. easy way to make scones. You need a recipe that involves lemonade or soda water. Okay. Okay. All That's right. my tip. Wow. You can do both and compare if you want, but I'm just telling you that the lemonade or soda water ones are so much easier for you because if you don't rub the butter into the flour properly, then it's just a recipe for disaster. Well, as long as the the recipe is not from New South Wales because I believe Victorian and Queensland scones are 1,000 better than any New South Wales scone I've ever had in my life. Okay, I'm not even going to go there with that. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) No. No, I've like I'm quite a connoisseur of scones. Yeah, but where are you getting them from? Well, you're not buying this. You're not getting the CWA ladies scones. I'm okay. going to tell you my my CWA ladies here in New South Wales, in sunny New South Wales, make the best scones ever. All right, I'll have to try them. Seriously. <laughs> connoisseur of scones. Well, Anywho, yeah. moving Anywho. on. Okay, so. We have an awesome giveaway because we have three book packs and oh. each pack contains two books uh, written by Sue Whiting, the awesome oh, Sue Whiting. One is the Book of Chance and the other is Good Question. So Book of Chance, 
Chance is in year seven and thinks she has it all, but when a reality TV team makes over her house, she discovers newspaper cuttings from the past that cause her to question the world as she knows it and everyone in it. This powerful story explores what is true and what is fake in today's world. And while Chance is all about the truth, she ponders whether maybe being truthful was really just a big lie. That's really cool. Mm. And also, uh, the second book in the book pack by Sue Whiting is Good Question. Have you ever wondered why Henny Penny thought the sky was falling? Well, here's a story that might give you the answer. Told from the fox's point of view, this magical tale links fairy story and nursery rhyme characters in a delightful, funny and quirky way. A whimsical tale for humour and adventure-loving readers aged three to six and beyond. So all you need to do to win one of three book packs containing two books is go to writercentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. So go to writercentre.com.au slash win. So, Al. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready for the word of the week? Even the word of the week is a distraction at a time like this. So, yes, I'm ready. Hit me with it. Seraphic. So that's S-E-R-A-P-H-I-C. Seraphic. Do you know what that is? I do. I'm oh, so I'm so sorry to ruin all your fun, but I actually uh-huh. do. How do what do I know? Has to do with angels. It's in the Christmas carols. Mm. Sing you now, sweet seraphim, heaven and earth. Remember? <laughs> okay. Yes, Gloria. That's, seraph- that's seraphim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but seraphic this- is related to seraphs, right? Oh, yes, you're right. Similar. Okay. So sorry. this means like or befitting a seraph. S e r a p h which might lead you to ask, what is a seraph? So if you don't sing Christmas carols, a seraph <laughs> is a celestial being often represented as a child's head with wings on either side. So you might say, that baby has a seraphic face. Hmm. Which you might. angel, yeah. Yes. Which you might. Which you probably wouldn't. You'd probably be more likely just to use it and sing it in a Christmas carol. Well, yes, true. All right, so let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I'm so excited. Uh, writer in residence this week is Victoria McKinley, and Victoria uh, is a graduate of the Australian Writers Centre. And her, uh, this is just this is her debut novel. So we're supporting um, debut novelists in this series of interviews. But I have no doubt that this is not her last novel. In fact, her writing career has just kicked off. So her latest book is out now. Ribbit, Rabbit, Robot. The next one is coming out very soon, and there's also more along the way. So let's. Are they have all a chat. picture books? Uh, the next, no, not all of them. Mm, okay, um, exciting. Oh no, no, I'm not sure actually what the third one is because that's a bit under wraps. So mm. I don't take my word on that. Okay, one. all right. Yes, all we won't. will be revealed soon. So let's have a chat to Victoria and hear about how she got to where she is today. Thanks so much for joining us today, Victoria. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Congratulations on your first book, and I know it's going to be the first of many. I'm so excited. I did catch up with you in person a few weeks ago, and I held the book in my hands, and it was just so wonderful to be able to flip through it and to, you know, see it. It's real. Um, So for those people who haven't got your book yet, um, tell us what it's called and what it's about. 
Yeah, sure. So it's called, it's a bit of a tongue twister. So <laughs> it's called Ribbit Rabbit Robots, Ribbit Rabbit Robots. Um, and it's the story of a friendly frog, a greedy rabbit and a robot with a short fuse and their adventures or their chaotic adventures um, with a magic lamp. So there's a lot of wordplay in there and lots of different themes running through it, actually. But yeah, that's basically what it is. And so it's a picture book and it's your first picture book or your first book. Now, how in the world did you come up with an idea of a frog and a rabbit and a robot? (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good question. It's quite random. Um, So this story came about, I was playing in the bath with my daughter, who I think was three then, and she had been given a frog sponge for Christmas. So we were, it has like a frog on the top that squirts water. So we were having good fun with that and kind of saying ribbit, ribbit, ribbit and squirting each other with water. And then obviously we were in the bath. So we were cleaning ourselves or rubbing ourselves with the sponge. So we were kind of saying ribbit and then rub it. Um, and it, we were just having, yeah, just having really good fun. And then that kind of stayed with me because it was something that she continued to talk about and kind of asking for. And then I thought, yeah, those words sound funny together. And what other words follow that formation? So, you know, with a r and a b and a t. And then there was rabbit, robot. And then I started just, yeah, sort of the idea sort of stuck with me and coming up with all these different words. And then I kind of just set myself a challenge. So thinking, um, is it possible to actually tell a full story with a story arc and, you know, drama and everything in there using only those words? Um mm. And I remember reading like a a while ago about how Dr. Zeus did similar things. I think he had a bet with his publisher um, for Green Eggs and Ham was the bet was, you know, can you tell a story in 50 words? And and he went ahead and did that. So I I didn't really set out um, yet to um, sort of replicate what Dr. Zeus did, but just I thought that was an interesting thing. And, yeah, I've never tried to write a story and setting myself a challenge, but that was certainly how this one came about. And so did you, have you always wanted to write picture books or was this something that came about really as a result of this experience? Um, No, so I think I started writing picture books when I had my daughter, but I've always wanted to write. So I really have been writing since I was three and a half years old. And if you ask my parents, you know, what they would have thought I would have been, it would be an author because, um, you know, I just loved reading complete bookworm. Um, I studied languages and literature at university. Um, I've always written. I've kept diaries. Um, yeah, so I've always written, but I didn't, picture books um, wasn't necessarily the genre I was going to write in. But I think when I started reading picture books to my daughter and I took the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, um, it just totally clicked. Um, it, mm. it was just literally the perfect genre for me. I just adore picture books. Um, I can't draw or, or do the art. And I just love that whole medium, you know, what the artist brings as well. It's just, yeah. So, I, I yeah, I love them. So I want to come back to Ribbit Rabbit Robot very soon. But I think what people would be interested to know is just your journey to this point so far. Now, you've always been interested in writing, but maybe what you could do is just give us just a potted career history, just so that we can see what you've done in your career until this point. Yeah, well, I've had a pretty varied career. So I studied modern languages at university, so say literature. So I studied French and Italian. So I think a lot of people would have thought, oh, you, you'll become a teacher. 
Um, that's sort of a, a, a logical career progression. But I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left university. So I went traveling around the world, as you do, and just had amazing adventures over those um, 52 weeks. And I think it was when I was climbing Machu Picchu in South America, one of the guys that was on that um, trek with me mentioned that he worked in medical sales in London and he was like, I can get you a job. Um, it's really good. You get a company car, you get a you know free phone and it's pretty good money and all of that kind of things. And I didn't have any other plans. So he, when I came back from traveling, I looked him up and I ended up literally the most random dro- job ever driving around London, all the NHS hospitals selling drills and saws for orthopedic <laughs> theatres and I faint um, I'm a needle phobe I faint every time I have an injection and there I was literally standing in operating theatres every day watching people's you know scalps being pulled down while they were drilling into people's brains and just just it was just honestly just crazy so um, that was amazing experience actually I have to say but just totally unplanned and I was selling obviously and I did um randomly quite unexpectedly I sold a ton of medical equipment and got promoted and everyone thought um, I was doing a great job at this which was just quite surprising to me and then um, but I was just my heart wasn't in it you know and um, that wasn't what I wanted to do so then I back in those days this is 2006 I was in London I also wasn't mad about London and I was open to living abroad and with my languages you know keen to do more travel so I put my CV up on Monster I don't know if do you remember mm, Monster back yeah, in the days was that kind of mm. Monster.com so I put my CV up there and then I got a cold call from Google um, saying you know we've seen you can speak languages would you like to come to Dublin and um, do an interview with us and really back in those days that was before anyone knew what Google was mm. so I remember chatting with my friends and they were like you know what's this Google thing and <laughs> um, was out of Easter what were the other ones you know like Yahoo and mm. like, what was it? The, the, there was one with the dog Ask Jeeves and Ask anyway Jeeves, all of those yes. yeah and um, so I anyway flew across to Dublin and yeah they they offered me a job immediately so I was really there right at the beginning 2006 when Google was a startup so it was just not anything um, as it is now and it was just amazing and then I just was completely um, yeah taken uh, along with the the Google I don't know the Google craziness just just very absorbed in that and again did what I was selling ads and working on their online teams advertising and with mm. publishers google um not you know not like harper collins and those but publishers to google is anyone with a website so i managed different teams and then they sent me over to australia um i think in 2008 and so i was just you know really obsessed with google and just caught up in all of that kind of thing and then i think it was 2000 and i was trying to look through i think it was 2013 and at that role, at that point, I was leading a team in APAC and doing a lot of travel. And it was, again, sales, sort of big revenue numbers. And I was just suddenly just hit me that I'm not using my creative brain at all. And I'd stopped writing, which I'd you know always done. And I just suddenly, like everything in my body was like, I need some sort of creative outlet. And then I Googled creative writing courses and you guys or, you know, the Australian Writer Centre came up. And I took um, an evening course, you know, at the beautiful um, centre in Lavender Bay. Mm. And it was just amazing and um, just fully sort of immersed myself into that. And then when I was on maternity leave, I took more courses. Um, I did the freelance writing courses and started making 
um, sort of little bit of money. I'm not going to say it was lots, but um, writing for different parenting um, Mm -hmm. magazines and that kind of thing. And then when my daughter was born, that's when I saw the picture book course and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And that's, so yeah, that's how how it happened basically quite a long story (laughs) no I think that's fascinating so you did the picture book book course and then it clicked with you and that sometimes happens people do a couple of different courses and then they get to the one they go this is the one that I'm gonna you know really sink my teeth into a really um that really sits well with me what about picture books are you drawn to Uh, It's a really good question. I mean, I think, like I said earlier, it is that um, I love that third level that you get. I love, you know, the Mm. pictures. It's that the pictures and the illustrations is a whole art form in itself. And I just have so much admiration for the illustrators that do it because I can't illustrate. And I I think also um, it's not that writing picture books is easy, but they are short. So for me, I like the idea that, you know, it's, let's just say, 300 words. You can get those words down. I mean, you can write a draft. It can be pretty terrible, but you can do that in one sitting. And I think sort of the longer form novels, and and that's not to say I wouldn't ever write anything longer because I do have lots of ideas for longer things, but I find larger word counts quite intimidating and a little bit scary. So there's something lovely about you know, having that, like getting those words down and you get that accomplishment and then you can go back and once it's down, you know, it's just edit, 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 and you make all your different versions of it. Um, so it's quite neat. I think I'm quite ordered and um, controlling maybe. And I love that, <laughs> that it all comes, yeah, quite, it's just, and yeah, I think that's the best way to describe so it. let's talk about um, this book. When you were drafting the yeah. manuscript for this book, just give us a bit of an idea, maybe almost like a timeline of, okay, so it took me this long to do my first draft and then I did all these different kind of edit, like what did you do to it, you know, to, to shape it and polish it and really get to the stage where it was, it was great. Yeah. So as I said, it started off in the bath with my daughter and then it started with me just jotting down words. I've got pages and pages in notebook where I've like literally put every vowel in every um, different place to try and work out which different words I had to play with. So that looks a bit crazy in my notebook. And then, yeah, writing writing different drafts. I'm in two different critique groups. Um, so those different drafts went through multiple, multiple critiques as well and got um you know feedback from so I think between my two critique groups there must must be at least 10 or 12 people so that went through lots of different ones I also do make dummy picture books so this one especially um out of all my manuscripts probably went through the most dummies so uh, you know just making a little um fake book or whatever just out of paper and stapling Mm. it and then just testing out the different page turns because there's quite a lot of reveals in Mm. this um, and unanswered un- questions. So the page turns are really important. Um, so that, and then, and I guess reading it to the different kids that I know and getting feedback from them as well. And that was probably, yeah, that was probably it before I submitted to my publisher. So this is actually my second picture book contracted, but obviously the first to come out. So I already had a relationship um, with my publisher at Scholastic. So I was able to submit this one um directly to her and actually this one I would say is is was the fastest from that first draft to contract was actually quite quick because yeah for other ones it's taken much longer so I'm not sure if that's good or bad 
The first contract that's yet to come out, that book has yet to come out, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's take, I mean, you can tell us as much or as little as you can or want about that since it's yet to come out, but maybe talk people through the process of that first submission. How did yeah. you go about it and, you know, what happened? Yeah, so I did, I went through a little timeline because so I did the picture book course at the Australian Writers' Centre in January 2017 mm-hmm. and I didn't submit anything to anyone until March 2018. So that's, I guess, 14 months later. So during that time, I mean, I was writing a lot of different manuscripts and getting things critiqued and um going to different festivals and that kind of thing. And I just didn't feel, I just wasn't confident, I suppose, or just didn't feel anything was polished enough to submit. And then in that March, there was the CKT or the Creative Kids Tales Festival. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I got a ticket for that. And that was where I booked my first manuscript assessment, which isn't, it's not really a submission. It's, I think these things you just have to really approach as you're meeting a publisher and you're getting feedback. I think yes. a lot of people feel like that's um, a pitching session. There are pitching sessions at those conferences as well. But that one, um, yeah, I submitted a manuscript. And so it was quite crazy when you think about it because that was she was the first publisher to see that was, you know, my manuscript and she liked it and acquired it, which is, right. I don't know how often that really happens. So it was a bit crazy, really. But yeah, so I had an appointment with um, Claire Halifax from Scholastic and yeah, I was very nervous. I remember going into that um, appointment, just really feeling quite sick, actually, and then sat mm-hmm. down with her and pretty much straight off the bat, she said, I really like this, which was very exciting and yes. put me at ease and then she had some feedback on that manuscript and I went back and made some edits and submitted it to her but it came back quite quickly as a yes and um yeah and that was my first book which is being illustrated Brilliant. by quite a um a big named illustrator who's um pretty busy so that is why I think it's taken longer and like Ribbit Rabbit Robot is illustrated by a scholastic book designer it's her first book as well but I, I suppose being in-house I mean she's incredibly busy and she's got another book coming out and I expect many more after um you know because you can see how talented she is but um anyway so that's yeah I think that's just what happened with the order of the books yes and so when is the second book coming out? So it was due to come out in August and the publishers are all, I think, across the board, given the current situation, everything's being um, moved around as everyone sort of figures out adjusting to this new world. So at the moment, it's now scheduled for next May, so right. May 2021. Okay, but still a book a year is not bad, you know, because I understand, because it's like, you, it's like, momentum has started for you in your authorial career because Mm. I hear that there's gonna be a third book (laughs) yeah there there is I can't really say too much but yeah there's at least gonna be a third and hopefully many more yeah yes very very exciting so when you're writing now is the second book to come out that's a picture book as well yeah, all picture books for now. Yeah. Books. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you are writing your picture book, like it sounds like you can write the first kind of pass fairly quickly, but then there's an incredibly rigorous editing process because you go, you go to your critique group, you get all of these opinions. What do you know to listen to and not listen to? 
Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think I, I love my critique groups so much. I honestly can't um, praise them enough. But I think there's just something in my gut. And often, actually, even for Ribbit Rabbit Robot, there was there's a sort of point of contention and there was quite a lot of disagreement between people um, over the ending, really. And mm. it, it's great. I really appreciate people being completely honest, but it just it helps me with my resolve of, I think sometimes when someone challenges something, it makes you realise, you know, what's important and, and sort of you come down firm on what's actually right for the story. But, um, I mean, the, my critique groups have helped me so much and there's lots of brilliant ideas that some of them have come up with that are, you know, in the book and their feedback mm. is so helpful. Um, and it's it's yeah it's just I think you've got to be open and you've got to listen to everything people say and they will completely um, raise things that you haven't thought of before Mm. which is great as well Um, so yeah I find it I find them very very helpful and the other good thing is that we're in a weekly um, critique so it's also a motivation to you always Mm. have to have something to submit so for people who have very busy lives and lots of other things going on it's you know you have to keep up with that momentum which is amazing so So you submit something every week one of us will one of of you yeah Mm -hmm. I think is it six of us in one group and I think like seven or eight maybe in the other okay and so yeah every every month and a half you've got to have something new or you can submit an old manuscript that you've edited yes now, when you, because you said that you have read it to children, like you read it to children, just to mm. get, get gauge their reaction, what do you look out for in their reaction and how does that impact then any changes you might make? Um, I think you look, I look firstly to see if they, um, if I'm holding their attention. I think the worst thing you're reading something and they don't want to hear it or kind of off they go I'm actually I'm really lucky the kids in my sort of circle are very like highly literate kids I mean you know they get read to a lot and then and then obviously I suppose I think if you're reading to your own children they're always gonna say nice things although my daughter once said I do love it mummy and I'm not just saying that because I love you so she can actually be quite useful with her feedback (laughs) um so yeah I think yeah I mean you've got to see and then are they laughing at the right spots I mean humor is massive like do they find things funny um mm. and I think we're really living in that world with kids and especially now with the whole homeschooling thing um going on I think this is actually quite a magical time for creatives even though I, I don't really have time to write I'm just literally trying to soak up this like intense time with the kids that I'm looking after and just um yeah, because seeing what kids find funny or just the things that they say, you know, the way that they mm. speak is just, I just find it so beautiful. They're so astute in their observations of the world. I just honestly just think it's magical. So you sound like you get a bunch of ideas from lots of different places. In yeah. terms of collecting them, like you've said that your notebook has like lots of ribbits, rabbits, robots, robots, <laughs> all these yeah. words yeah. in it. But in terms of collecting your ideas... Is it in one notebook? Do you group the ideas into themes? How do you know when an idea is more than just a bunch of words on a page and could potentially be a book? Yeah, so I'm going to completely contradict myself because I know earlier I said I'm really organised and the answer to that question is I'm completely disorganised. So I have about, I don't know, 20 notebooks. I'm like, I just love notebooks. I can yeah. all of them. I just fall in love with I love paper as well. I'm obsessed yeah. with paper. So, 
Um, so no, I honestly, I've probably in every single notebook, I'll have like an ideas page and then I'll lose the ideas page and then I'll start another one. And I also have, um, you know, a kind of mood board in my little book nook, which ha- actually that is quite good. That has things that kids have said to me that have stuck with me and I'll pin them onto that mood board. So there's probably loads of things out there that I've completely forgotten about. So I suppose it has to, if it's something that sticks with me. And at the moment, I've I've got, I think, five picture books that I need to write that, you know, I've Mm. got pretty in my head. They're pretty well formed and I need to sit down and write them. But some of them are quite complex ideas that maybe I'm struggling with a little bit more. So I don't really, I think a lot of writers are more disciplined than me in that, you know, they force themselves to write. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really like that I find that sometimes this is just the perfect time and as I say for my third book I can literally remember when it happened and again it was something I'd been playing around with in my head for a long time and then suddenly I was just like oh my god this is it and Mm -hmm. I kind of sent my husband and my daughter out and that was I I was like go you have to get out of the house and then I just sat down and it just suddenly came out so it's a bit like really (laughs) yeah wow so if that's the case do you Mm -hmm. let the idea or the story swirl around in your head till the point where you literally know what's going to happen at every point no I don't think so because that one even well that was a rewrite um but no not necessarily um because I do still do a lot of editing I'll be honest I think every single book that I've written or the the ones that will be published they're so Mm. different as well and that's another thing Mm. um yeah my second book is so different to Ribbit Rabbit Robot and the third one's probably more like Ribbit Rabbit Robot but um, they're quite different and some of them are in rhyme some of them are in prose um, I think and that's probably across all my life I'm not really I like to do different things I think because that mm. you know it keeps it interesting um, and I think the process for each one is is different yeah it's not they haven't been the same at all. So you did the course writing picture books at the Australian Writers Centre what did you find useful about the course that has helped you in your writing journey? Well, everything really, because I rocked up to that course, as I say, in January 2017, and I didn't even know that a picture book um, has 32 pages. That was, you know, first week. The, the tutor kind of told me that, and I was just like, wow. So, I mean, I was, as I say, I knew a lot about literature, you know, I'd studied to quite a high level, you know, university and that kind of thing, and I read a lot, but I did not, you know, I, I didn't know that the, really there is a formula for picture books. And I mm. think even though, you know, you can break some of the rules, you need to know the rules and understand them to be able to break them. So that it was just that course was amazing. And I think, it, as I say, I just gelled with picture books. And that was the moment when I realized, OK, this is what I'm going to be writing. Um, but it taught me every, you know, from structuring a picture book, um, also how, you know, how to pitch to editors and how to get in front of publishers. So lots and lots of things. Mm. Now, a lot of people um, think that you do have to know how to draw or know somebody who knows how to draw. Was mm. that, and you say that you don't, was that, mm-hmm. um, is that something that you thought you had to be able to do or, or, or? What did you discover about that process? You know, Not, yeah, you... I, I think I knew, um, again, because you can see in the books that I read, some mm. are picture books, some are author illustrators, but a, a lot aren't. So I, I knew that I didn't need to, that wasn't, yeah, I knew I didn't have to illustrate my own book. But mm. I think it was interesting um, finding out the fact that in most picture book 
and in, certainly in my case, that author and illustrator don't work together. I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, people like Julia Donaldson didn't meet Axel Sheffer, I think, till their sixth book together. So I think for, for regular people reading picture books, they had, like, I certainly had this image of the author and illustrator sort of sitting next to each other, brainstorming, bouncing ideas off each mm-hmm. other. Um, and, I, and with traditional publishing, the author and illustrator are kept completely separately really and I I think every publisher works slightly differently but certainly my experience with Scholastic I didn't have any contact with Sophia I haven't actually I haven't actually met her we were going to meet up at the book launch which obviously was cancelled thanks to the virus but um, yeah we we didn't communicate and I think I think really this book that was to the benefit of the book because she's just taken my words and you just created this whole um uh, whole world for the characters. What's the most challenging thing and what's the most rewarding thing about writing picture books for you? Gosh, I can't, it's hard to think about challenges because I just really love it so much. I mean, there, <laughs> must be, there must be something difficult about it. That's um, okay if there isn't, that's great. <laughs> I just, yeah, have it, let me just think. But the re- most rewarding, well, I, do, I mean, to have to say, getting it published, I think, you know, to mm. actually get published was, was probably, you know, it's a dream, as I say, since I was three and a half years old. So when I got that um, email from Claire to say, you know, it's a yes, it was just, you know, that's a joy that you, I think you get to experience very rarely in life. Like it was just pure, mm. just like dance around the house, scream <laughs> out loud. Like, you know, it's just, and I, I didn't think it would happen that quickly. Um, right. I think I was very surprised that, it could be that easy for me, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that and, and getting more picture books accepted, you know, because then you think, oh, mm. am I just a one hit wonder? Is it just going to be one book? Mm. Um, but to, yeah, to have to see that this could be potentially a career is just a dream come true. So that's amazing. It obviously is panning out into a career because, you know, it's you've got more on the way. So finally, what's your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to be doing like what you're doing one day? So, yeah, I've thought about this and I'm going to be quite specific with picture books. I mean, maybe this mm. could apply to everything. And also it's quite focused into actually getting published as well, because I think a lot of listeners, sure. that's sort of the goal. So the, the first my first tip is definitely to educate yourself. So it's I think you can come at this with brand new ideas. And that's wonderful because sometimes the more courses you do, you maybe you end up just writing a bit like everyone else. But you do need to understand the process, the structure, there, there are certain rules that I think need to be applied. Um, so yeah, I'd say educate yourself, go to as many conferences and do as many courses as you can, because that certainly helped me. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I think this one comes up all the time, but you know, read a ton of books. Um, it's certainly with picture books, we were reading hundreds of books, getting loads from the library, and you know, you need to see what's out there. And when you read books, also research the publishers, because when you, you when you read a book, you can kind of see what sort of style different publishers um, publish, and what might be which publisher might be a good fit for the kind of things that you're um, writing. So sort of read them quite thoroughly, and with that kind of um, angle in mind. And then thirdly is network. Um, so mm. t- if you're looking for a publisher, I do think um, network is really important. And I learned about Squibby, which is the so- Society of yeah. Children's Books, Writers and Illustrators, um, through that 
Australian Writers um, Centre course and they've just been amazing they've been so supportive of me but you know every meetup that they have they'll get a publisher along pretty much most of the meetups and Mm. you can have assessments or just get to get face to face with a publisher because most of them are closed to unsolicited manuscripts and, and and not just with publishers but just network you know with other authors and illustrators and support other people and you know lift them up and just be good to people because I found even from doing um, magazine and newspaper writing I've got editors with magazine friends friends with editors of magazines who are now also promoting my book you know through uh-huh. their things so you know you want you don't want your network to be too small but you know just yeah have good relationships with people and um yeah I think so that's a bit long-winded again no, that's, brilliant. that's brilliant that's um really really practical and very very useful and I have no doubt that uh this is the start of a very long career for you in writing congratulations on ribbit rabbit robot <laughs> it is <laughs> <Thank hard>. you, <laughs> it's great though um and um and uh, good luck for the next one as well thank you so much for joining us today Thank you for having me. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, a popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book structure and pace as well as language and rhythm finding the right voice working with illustrators publishing options and much more complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalized tutor feedback on your writing find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash picture books All right, there we go, Victoria McKinley. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, I am, uh, look, lots of things because obviously I'm extremely busy, but I'm also, um, we're, we're kind of busy all around in this house because Book Boy, uh, also known as Joe Vissa, singer-songwriter, is um, he's organising, would you believe, an entire online music festival? That's so cool. Wow, he's six, how does that work? 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and his friend Hannah Brooks, who plays in a band called Kim's Laundry, have come up with this idea um, of creating an Instagram um, music festival. So there's been a few big ones done, like Isolade was one that they did a couple of weeks ago. Oh. And um, so Joe, what Joe did a couple of weeks ago was create a little playlist on Spotify called Keep Supporting Local because there's a lot of young bands around our area on the South Coast mm. um, and Illawarra that, you know, they lost their gigs. Half mm. of them work in hospitality. They lost their jobs. You know, like it's it's one of those sort of situations. And it's very difficult to build a following and keep your kind of momentum going as a young yeah. band when you can't gig. Mm. So he created a Spotify playlist called um, Keep Supporting Local, and uh, which has got, I think, 65 different you know acts from around sort of as in as I said from the whole region and he spoke to um Lindsay McDougall and ABC Illawarra about that a couple of weeks ago so that was you know that was a bit fun and um then he was sort of thinking about it over the weekend and he just suddenly came out one morning and said I've decided I'm gonna (laughs) I've decided I'm gonna create an online music festival and uh, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'll be doing and then he sort of you know got his friend Hannah involved and the two of them have 
reached out, organised a line-up, found themselves a a sponsor, got the poster, got the social media going. They've got a whole strategy going. They're sort of, um, you know, rolling it out. Um, So it would be great if you guys are interested in supporting it. Um, The the, uh, Instagram handle for the festival is at StayListFest, at StayListFest. Fest, so it's the South Coast Stay List, as in instead of playlist, Stay List. Um, and if uh, yeah, if you're interested in following that, but there'll be I think there's a dozen bands playing. They're doing a 20 minute set each, you know, on their Instagram live, and then they'll hand off to the next person. Um, and it's all taking place on Saturday, the 18th of April. So I um, I'm incredibly proud of them. Like for yes. two young people, just to kind of Fantastic. go, well, this is what we're doing, and then go and um, put it all together. I um, you know. I can only applaud the initiative. As far as school holiday slash ISO projects go, ways to keep yourself entertained while, you know, you can't go anywhere, I, I think it's probably at the top of the list. So, um, yeah, so if you guys are, are happy to swing past or follow on Instagram at StaylistFest, I'm sure they would be more than happy to see you. And, uh, yeah, we'll put the link to that in the in the show notes. So thanks for letting me do that little plug. Val, what will you be doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um I will be actually this Saturday, the 18th of April uh, at 11am, tune in to the Australian Writers' Centre Facebook page because I will be in conversation with Tara Moss. Her latest book is The Cobra Queen and um, it's always great to talk to Tara about her wide range of different types of writing that she does. Um, This is one of the Pandora English novels, which is really cool. Um, uh, so yeah, tune in and, and join the conversation because we'll be online video, Facebook live, and we'll be seeing your comments and questions as well. So you'll be part of the party. Fantastic. Yeah. We're calling it creative conversations. And this one is with, uh, Tara Moss. So look, you can spend the entire Saturday afternoon and morning with the, so you want to be a writer family. (laughs) That's right. Who needs to go out? (laughs) <laughs> no one needs to go out ever again. All right. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer, Instagram at Alison Tate Writer, and Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. Just mixing it up there, babe, to keep you on your toes. <laughs> also because I forgot where I was. Um, but, yeah, so thanks very much. And where do we find you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.